All right. Welcome to another episode of sales is not a dirty word. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first time listener, hopefully you'll become a long time listener. As always, I'm your show host, Alicia Barr, your revolutionary sales coach and creator of this inspiring podcast. You can check me out at aliciabar.com. Our podcast is all about alternative sales strategies, whether that's workshopping with people like you or meeting with other sales experts to bring you real help that you can implement now. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the evolution of sales, what used to work and what works now with Fred Diamond, who is the co-founder of the Institute for Excellence in Sales, a global organization for business-to-business sales leaders and their teams. He's also the host and producer of the Sales Game Changers podcast and webcasts. His podcasts have had over 1 million interactions. Welcome to the big show. Sales is not a dirty word. Alicia, I am so excited to be here. You're doing a great job and uh, I look forward to the conversation. You're too kind, Fred. (laughs) Um, So I really want to start at where your sales career started. I know I just found out that you were a DJ, (laughs) which is interesting. So after DJing, you know, when did you get into sales? Like what year was it? So most of my career was in technology marketing. So I was at Apple and Compaq and a large software company as a product marketer or as a uh, country marketer, if you will. And in 2002, I, but I always appreciated the market, the sales side of marketing. In 2002, I went to work for myself as a um, go-to-market strategy consultant. And my phrase, my catchphrase was marketing that doesn't lead to revenue reward is a huge waste of time and money. So I would get hired because I understood that marketing was really about the whole sales process and how do we accelerate the sales process? So as a consultant, um, I began to realize that most companies were hiring me because they had sales challenges or revenue generation challenges and marketing wasn't helping uh, generate the money that it needed to or make or accelerate sales. So uh, in 2012, I co-founded an entity called the Institute for Excellence in Sales. Originally, we were called the Institute for Excellence in Sales and Business Development, so that people who said, well, I'm not in sales, I'm in BD, they could participate. And we That's started doing- Clearly the same to me. It could be. So I, start, I started uh, doing programs where we would bring great sales authors and speakers to the DC. I'm based in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, DC. And- People started liking what we were doing. And about six years in, I said, you know what? It's more fun supporting the sales organizations, which I've always appreciated as compared to the marketing consulting that I've been doing. So we started accelerating the growth of the Institute for Excellence in Sales around 2016. And now we're a global organization with uh, great sales leaders from Amazon and Salesforce and IBM and companies like that as members. That is so rewarding to build. I can only imagine um, something to really be proud of. So you said that you you noticed that you liked sales even more. What about it did you like? You know what it was. My very very first job was with McGraw Hill Publishing. So in college, I was a journalist. I was the editor of my college newspaper. So I went to work for McGraw Hill right after college. And I was an editor, like a technical editor in one of their divisions. <clears throat> and we sat next to the sales department. So over the cube, I could hear the salespeople interacting. And I was like, wow, those guys, those guys are pretty important to the company. And I remember I went to the chief marketing officer of the company and I asked him, I said, are we in the business to sell 
like we, we sold these technical guides to technology products. I said, are we in business to sell onesie twosies or are we in business to sell a lot, like maybe a thousand to a company? And the CMO said, well, both, but it's really critical that our sales team develop large accounts. And then I realized, okay, we're in, I mean, yes, I'm creating this product, but we're only in business because of these people. And I just started spending time with them, asking them questions. Uh, I then went to Apple Computer as my first main job in technology in marketing. And I just had this respect for the salespeople. And most of them were successful. They were smart. Um, they had great careers at companies like Xerox and IBM and Oracle. And I just, I realized right then I said, this is the reason why we're in business is because these people had the courage, the guts, the intelligence to, to grow accounts that we could sell Apple computers to. My God, every salesperson listening to this right now is like, hoorah, Hoorah. (laughs) they have to be like so amped up because I have to say that it is very rare that somebody who's not in sales even realizes what you're saying. Um, And the salespeople definitely feel like that maybe almost to a fault. I would say sometimes Um, it can become a little entitled. Uh, It has, it has a tendency to maybe uh, create some divas, but (laughs) Yeah, it, it is a really big, you can't have a company without sales. Just you can't. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the, the, the last full-time company that I worked at was a large software company out of Detroit, <clears throat> excuse me, called CompuWare. And they were the second largest independent software company that nobody knew about because they mostly sold mainframe software, but it was very, very critical software in an IBM data center. And it was a very, very sales-driven company. And it was very obvious that everything was about supporting the salespeople and the sales process. And I learned there, I said, you know, uh, and that's when I first heard the expression that nobody in accounting gets paid until something is sold, or we're going to close the doors when the last salesperson leaves the company type of a thing. And I really gained a deeper appreciation uh, at CompuWare, to be honest with you, for the sales process. So I am a huge believer that it's all about sales and the mission of the Institute is to help sales leaders acquire, retain, motivate, and elevate top-tier sales talent. So everything we do at the Institute for Excellence in Sales is about that. We, we rebranded in 2015. We dropped the NBD because we said, you know what? We're really about sales and unashamedly. Yeah. So, I mean, that is a serious issue. Sales leaders, I think, from the beginning of time have had, I mean, it's like tales all this time, you know promoting a good salesperson into a management position who has no idea how to recruit or retain anybody, um, you know, classic mistake and, and that kind of thing. But it's interesting to me that you thought that the salespeople were smart and successful because I think most people look at salespeople and they think gross, um, or like this person is like, I don't know, salesy, trying to sell me something, like there's some negative connotation with it. So, um, I think it's really probably says something about the type of people that were at the companies where you were. But I mean, have you seen a difference in the type of salespeople you saw then and the type of salespeople that there are now? Is there any difference? Yeah. So I understand where you're coming from. And, and most people who aren't in sales, they, they think of car salesmen or used car salesmen. And that's usually where the rap comes from. Um, at the Institute for Excellence in Sales and the companies I worked at, you know, you're talking about B2B, business to business or business to government or complex sales that require strategies. You know, it's not a one call. How do I get you, Alicia, to buy this pen like yeah. you saw on the uh, um, 
uh, what was Wolf that movie? Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. So that's, that's really not sales. I mean, the sales as a profession that we work with, it's, it's strategy, it's long-term, it's, it's, um, it's understanding the value that you're bringing. It's not about getting a customer to do something that they don't want to do because customers are not going to do something they don't want to do and B2B either. Now it's shifted completely. So when you say it's shifted, did it used to happen? So there's been some shifts. Um, you know, we like to say that maybe 10 years ago, uh, and again, in technology and B2B and enterprise sales, the sales professional was a walking brochure, right? So you needed the sales professional to come in to help you understand the technology, where it fits in, what product strategy was going to happen, what the company was going to be developing over time. Uh, customers are now in charge. So with the internet and social marketing, uh, social media, et cetera, they can get all their answers before the sales professional even comes in. So sales is still critical and sales is still needed, but the sales professional, and that's a key word, professional, needs to understand how do I help my customer achieve their goals? Or how do I help my customer's customer achieve their goals? It's no longer about I need to try to shove things down your throat so I can reach my quota. It just, it just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, trusted advisor is a key word, yeah. right? Uh, that's a word you've used before in some of your episodes as well. So the sales profession has shifted um, because it's all about now, excuse me, bringing true value to your customer. And, and they don't need you if you're not going to be doing that. They really don't. It's true. It's true. You make a really good point. Like as a brochure, it's like, you're not telling me any information that I can't figure out on my own. So, um, you really, a lot of times don't need information. You need to know, like a customer needs to know how to, that information applies to them, which is not as readily, readily available online. And the different, a lot of times there's information overload, right? So it's like, Oh, there's all these features, but it's like, let's just talk about the ones that matter to you. Like, let's not talk about all the features and maybe we can talk about the other features later, but let's talk about the, you know, some of them it, like they, they almost disseminate or streamline the data for the customer that they might be confused or overwhelmed by otherwise. And so in the past, did people just overwhelm? They probably did. I, I feel like they were just like, here's a list and let me go through all of them. And I'm going to be the only person talking for 30 minutes. No, that's a great point. I mean, <laughs> you know, so I do a webinar, as you know, every single day, and we're talking to sales leaders and, and sales thought leaders. And it, it just keeps coming back to two things as a sales professional. What does it mean to be a sales professional? So, you know, during the pandemic, for example, in the beginning, uh, everybody expected that 2020 was going to be their best year ever, right? And then the pandemic kicks in and transactions stop happening unless you were buying, you know, uh, medical equipment or, you know, uh, masks or those kinds of things or cloud, you know, technology to get into the cloud, but you still had to be a professional. So what did that mean? Well, that means you need to understand things like empathy. You need to do the research so that you're prepared to help your customer ahead of time. I mean, if on March 29th, 2020, if you called your customer and said, I need you to buy a million dollars worth of stuff, well, obviously it wasn't going to be happening. So how do you be a professional? How do you speak to the dot? You know, it's amazing. It's 16 months into the pandemic and there are still sales professionals who are like, uh, or salespeople, I should say, you know, if a meeting's called for noon, it's like, uh, Bill, you're on mute. You know, where's, where's Joe? It's, and you still see that someone told me that they've started their meetings five minutes ahead of time so that everybody could take care of the, 
you know, the, uh, the access to the technology. Yeah. Yeah. And the second thing, second, just wrap up the second thing against value. It's, it keeps coming up every single time. What value am I providing my customer or my customer's customer? And if you don't start with that, you know, the customer doesn't need to talk to you about your weekend. And, you know, a lot of the small talk has kind of, it's not critical right now, especially because we're talking in a lot of cases still over Zoom and mechanisms like this. So it's really about, uh, you know, how can I help you achieve your goals? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I always say like no more than five minutes of rapport or you go in a rapport hole and <laughs> it, you know, a lot of times salespeople will come away thinking like, wow, what a great conversation. They're definitely going to buy it. It's like, no, y'all talked about everything, but the service that you're providing until the last, you know, 20 minutes. And then the meeting was over. So yeah, they liked you. That's not the same. They don't need a friend. They need an expert. Uh, and it's such an easy um, thing to confuse for, especially like the more gregarious salesperson who's like just good with people. And so they like wing it and they've always been able to like get people to like them. And it just doesn't work the same. I don't know. Do you think it used to work that approach? Well, possibly. I mean, because, and, and relationships are still important. Yes. Um, I mean, let's, let's not say that they're not, they still are, but it's not about relationship anymore. It really is about value. Uh, the relationship will open the door. It'll get you the conversation. Uh, but you need, there's another word that you just kind of alluded to, which is preparation. You know, you need to think about where your customer is now and where they're going. And if you have a competitor, that's going to come in. That's already thinking about that. If I can talk to, if I'm, new to a, a customer. And I can say, I understand where your industry is going because I've thought about it. Right. And I understand where you're going. And all that I am dealing with is, Hey, we've been working together for 20 years. You're at a, at a risk right now because the other guy who's thinking about where you're going is more important to the customer. Now he make the customer may give you a chance to get back in the game, but just because we're buddies and because we've been working together for 20 years, we see, we see that so often that it's, it's, it's less important than it's been uh, prior to this. Yeah. I mean, we want to work with people that we like, of course, right. um, it's more enjoyable, but that's not the only requirement. And it's the less important of the two, probably not that I would work with someone I don't like, unless I guess maybe they were just the best of the best, but I, I feel like there's always multiple options. No, no need to be rude. Um, so one thing I have noticed that is really missing, like you talk about bringing the value to people and knowing their challenges, which is so true, but in regards to technology in particular. So I worked with um, someone recently on their demo for something. And the demo that they showed me was so not interactive. And for that reason, very boring. And also hard for someone to understand who wasn't familiar with that space. So a lot of times with technology or software, you're bringing something to the table that will really help them, but the customer isn't in this technology field all the time. So like they don't really understand why or how. So I've noticed, and I've had a couple of demos since then, I helped her significantly with her demo to make it like, what do you do when you go search for something? And you know, then what would you do? Okay. Can you see how this would equal people leaving your website or something like, you know, so it's more interactive. Um, but even since then, all the demos that I've done, I'm like, 
man, these people are floundering. Like there's no, um, engagement of like, is this tracking with you? Can you see how this would be valuable to your business? Does it seem like this would be helpful? So, I mean, what's going on with that? And is there a change coming there? You know, it's interesting that you would say that. And I agree with you. It's, it's, um, there's a couple of things, uh, show up and throw up, you know, is an expression that we use where, you know, you're so happy that you got the meeting and you just mentioned before you said, Hey, this sale is moving along because we had a great meeting. Well, customers like to talk to salespeople if they're going to provide some value to them. Right. Um, so in a lot of cases, when you have the, the demo situation, you have to remember that it's not about you. You know, I used to have this expression. We still use it that if the, if the customer does 90% of the talking, then, then it's a good sales call. Cause you have to be listening for what am I hearing here? So many times in the demo situation, it's usually a first or second call, you know, you link in or something, or you the customer just, you know, uh, unwittingly, or, you know, maybe they're bored or maybe they just want to see a demo, you know, they haven't seen a demo in a while. So there's no real intention to buy. I mean, um, uh, only 3% uh, on average of people are in the buying mode of something right now. Uh, so you're, if you happen to get to the three, then you're lucky, but you're probably going to be in the next percentage, which is the 45% where people you know, might have an interest uh, at some point. You know, if there is a way for me to provide more value for my website to get to prospects, then that's something that's good. But if I'm not thinking about that as a real requirement, um, then yeah, I'll take your demo, but you still have to listen to me. You still have to, and I tell salespeople all the time, it's not about the demo. It's about the interaction with the customer and listen, ask the right questions so that you can understand where they may have a need as compared to, oh my God, I got a, I'm so lucky. I got... 30 minutes on this guy's schedule. He's the CXO of whatever it might be. Oh, this is good. Well, it might not be good if, if he doesn't care. And if you don't go about it the right way. And I feel like that person's dreading it. When I'm going to have a demo, I'm kind of dreading it because it's going to be so boring. And mm. same with pitch decks, like, and it can be better. It can be. But for some reason, the standard is to talk about your team and your mission and all of this shit that nobody cares about. And you know, you know we just beginning of the you meeting. know we just talked about this a few moments ago. I just completed a uh, a two and a half week road trip, and um, I'm based here in Northern Virginia, and I have customers and associates all over the country. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to get on the road. I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to download a bunch of podcasts. I'm going to buy a bunch of CDs. And I created meetings all over the country. And I said, every conversation I'm having is going to have to be meaningful, right? I said, every conversation, and a lot of them were with friends. Some of them were with people I've never met. We've only known each other either via LinkedIn or, or Zoom. But I said, you know what? Every single conversation I'm going to have has to be meaningful. And it has to be meaningful, not just for me, but for them. Yeah. So as you're in sales, you know, I think you, you want to be thinking the same thing is, yeah. are you bringing meaning to the customer in the interaction? Because you don't get that many interactions. Now, again, if you have the relationship, you know, there may be a little bit of leeway that you may just want to touch base and, you know, kind of see how you're doing and maybe throw something out there. But if you're in sales, maybe that's something I should write about is kind of shift. First of all, you got to shift away from you because it's yes. always about the customer. It is never about you. It is always about the customer. 
you know, Alicia, I want to thank you. I think, um, I think that's a, that's a blog post that I need to do, which is shifting your conversations to, to be more meaningful with your customer and for them to be meaningful, they have to be meaningful for the customer. Yeah. And also it's just, I mean, I know that salespeople know that in theory, but for some reason it is really hard for the majority of salespeople or corporations to do it in practice. Why do you think? Well, I'm not sure that they all all do, Um, especially if you're early in your career, you know, you have a quota for calls. So let's say you're a BDR or an SDR sales development or business development rep, and your job is to schedule appointments. So, you know, you're told, okay, you got to make 50 phone calls today and your goal is to get four appointments. So you, you know, you're not going to spend an hour talking to somebody to get an appointment because you got to do 30, 40 calls. And then I tell people, some people say to me, well, why do I have to make 40 phone calls? You have to make 40 phone calls because your boss has 10 people reporting to him or her and she or he is responsible for, for, for 400 phone calls. So that's why you have to make 40. And if you make 10, your boss's boss is going to ask your boss why you only his team only made 400 phone calls. So, you know, your company has to determine what are the right metrics that you should be doing, the right number of calls, the right number of activities, the right number of demos that will hopefully lead to success. Now, the challenge is if you don't understand that and all you're focused on is the number, okay, I got to make 40 phone calls today. Yeah. And that's where a lot of salespeople uh, in the early part of the career, they get flushed out because it's hard, you know, especially in the middle of a pandemic, you know, where people don't want to take your call. They're worried about Delta variant, you know? And when the other thing, when I drove across the country, Alicia was, the COVID is pandemic is still happening. You know, yeah. I, I went into some places. I, I remember I went into a store in Topeka, Kansas and everybody's looking at me and I'm like, what are you looking at? And then they pointed and said, you need to wear a mask. I'm like, come on. I said, I've been vaccinated. Every other store doesn't require a mask if you've been vaccinated, but this particular store did. So it's still out there. It's still raging yeah. in various places. We're still not sure. Uh, California, I believe, just went into mask requirements inside. But, you know, a lot of times to answer your question, you're given a metric, you're given a number that you need to achieve. And very rarely is the metric five meaningful phone calls, you know, (laughs) and even if you're an account exec, you know, you're still quoted with, you got to do five demos this week. So, okay, I got to make sure that I do the demos. And you're absolutely right. So many people don't know how to do them well, don't know how to do them well, even 16 months into the pandemic. So you got to get better at that. And I'll tell you what, if you're a professional, you better start getting better. Well, I do wonder, so you mentioned that you were in marketing first. So, you know, marketing has definitely changed over the years. And you look at like 1950s, not that you were around during that time, but I'm sure you studied it. Um, It was long. There was a lot more text and people read it. And I think that that probably applied to the sales conversation too, maybe was like, here's a ton of information, but along with like attention spans, just getting shorter, you know, people don't want to sit through or read through something. That's just a bunch of information at you. And I I don't know. I wonder if there's like, I, I guess talking about it, maybe it's just the internet. Um, but I think also it's like maybe becoming savvier. I don't know. What do you think? That's a great question. I mean, first of all, there's more options and there's less time and there's more distractions. So not only do you have um, 
TV, but you have your computer and you have all these distractions and you have your phone and you have notifications. So people's attention spans obviously have gotten a lot shorter. The other thing too, is there's a lot more competition. So, you know, back in the fifties, as you call it, you know, um, there were seven computer companies, if you're talking about technology and they were called the bunch, you know, Burroughs, uh, yeah, Unisys. So, you know, if you were uh, in IT, there was really only seven companies that you needed to understand. Um, and then of course, you know, with the evolution of the mini computer and then the microcomputer with IBM and Apple, all of a sudden there's more opportunities and more options. And then as the PC became around, you had all these software and all these peripherals and they wanted your attention. And then of course, as the internet came about, all the internet providers wanted your attention. And then of course, now with the phone and uh, smartphone and related technologies, uh, you know, all those vendors want your attention too. So, you know, imagine if you're like a CTO or CIO of a company, you talked about the fifties, you really only needed to know your IBM rep, you know, um, and maybe some other uh, software vendors, like we just talked about before, like CompuWare and some other CA and things like that. Now, you know, there's like, uh, we just saw a, uh, I just got a presentation on the marketing technology stack. There's 10,000 marketing technology uh, products oh my gosh. out there. It's nuts. Yeah. That is a very good point. So, I mean, the um, conclusion I get from that is get to the point. People don't have time. Get to the point about why, not even, I don't even think the first point is like, why you? I think the first point is like, how can I help the customer? And then it's like, why you like, just to let you know, there's other options. This is where we differentiate ourselves. And this is how that differentiation benefits you. Well, the other thing too, is, um, is like, where do you play? Right. So, you know, I used to do this presentation on the challenges of a uh, CIO or CEO as it relates to people who want to get their attention. So people would say to me, it's like, well, we should definitely go to the CEO. I'm like, well, okay, here's the CEO and here's who he or she needs to interact with. And first thing they need to interact with is their direct reports. Secondly, is their shareholders or the, the board, I should say, if you will. Then there's, um, the less than direct reports, if you will. Then there's like the major technology vendors, the Microsofts and the IBMs and Apples of the world. Then there's the next level. Then there's tertiary. And you got to include the guy or lady's family in there as well, right? Yeah. Or their peers. You know, if I'm a CEO, I probably want to talk to other CEOs in my industry so that I can be as savvy as possible. So if I'm a little point solution, you know, let's say I sell microphones like you and I are talking into, and we believe that a high quality ATR 2100 mic and use a different mic than I do, that's going to help your customer service people make your experience better. Okay. The CEO doesn't care about yeah. that at all. Maybe you have to rethink and maybe there's whoever's in charge of procurement for customer service. So, but then that person also has their concentric circles as well. So to be successful in sales, you really need to understand where do you fit in, right? And in a lot of cases, Alicia, it's not directly to the customer. You know, it might be as part of a partner solution. Maybe you sell through the channel. Uh, maybe your channel partner has the relationships to the customer. So you got to be smart. You got to really figure out, you know, who do I really need to be interacting with to achieve my goals? And then the last thing is like you talked about before, you got to be good, right? So you're a professional, you know, if you're expecting to do 30 minutes of talking, 
you're, you're toast, man. I mean, no one's going to be listening to that. You're going to be seeing a lot of this, you know, you know, looking down at them. So it's like, how do you get the message across of what they need to hear? And then, yeah, you don't send them a 10 page uh, ebook because they're not going to read it, but maybe there's somebody in it who's responsible for making the right decision may want to read that at some point, you know, cause they still need to be responsible for helping the company achieve its goals. So buying the right technology is a big part of that. So what I love so much about what you just explained is the empathy of it. So mm-hmm. you're putting yourself in the person's shoes and all the stuff they have going on, which, you know, something I talk about a lot in sales is empathy and people Salespeople so often forget that this person has a busy day. They have a lot going on. Maybe they had a bad morning. Their kids didn't want to get out on time. You've got a whole life outside of this company and what you're trying to sell them. And understanding that is so key to really establishing a relationship that's not just about what I want you to buy, but then also like understanding this person wants to look good to their boss or they want to look good to this person. And so then selling it from that perspective and what's important to them and is going to bring them status or wealth or relationship or whatever. And just the empathy of understanding that it will tailor your sales process to be saying the right things naturally, because you'll be putting yourself in their mindset and what you would want to hear. You know, uh, so we've been doing webinars every day since the pandemic kicked in. And as I alluded to, and there's a couple of words that come up all the time, empathy, the two words that come up all the time or have all the time have been value, like we talked about a lot, but also empathy. And there was a great quote that we had. Um, I interviewed a guy, his name is Gary Milwitt. He's with a company called JG Wentworth and they sell settlements. So if you, if you get I've like heard uh, their jingle. Yeah, three o'clock in the morning. If you're watching uh, Gomer Pyle reruns, another show from the 50s and 60s, uh, you'll see their commercials. But he made a great point, and his point was: if you make who you're feel make who you're talking to feel important. And I, my daughter, I have a daughter who just applied for some jobs, and she asked me for some uh, interviewing advice. And I said, Andy, her name is Andy. I said, when you're in these interviews, make the people that are interviewing you feel important. And the same thing with customers. If you can make your customers feel important, and that means that you're making it about them and you're not being obsequious, you know, you're not, oh, Alicia, you're the best podcaster yeah. of all time. You're very good, by the way. But, you know, if you, <laughs> but if you really do, you know, make them feel that what they're up to is important and has meaning, then, then you'll go far. And Gary's advice was picture them with a sign here that said, make me feel important. And that was a, Uh, That goes to empathy is, you know, understanding what their challenges are, what they're dealing with. And of course, in the last 16 months, we've all had to deal with, you know, things related to the pandemic and then things related to the financial side. How is their company being affected? And then whatever might be specific for them. Maybe they had a a parent who died. Maybe, you know, they had a a child who was sick. Maybe they have a, a spouse who has a chronic illness or something like that, that has been impacted by this. You need to think about, you know, where is this customer coming from? And, uh, you know, that will help you uh, become a more successful sales professional. Yeah, I I totally agree. I I always say, um, if someone feels like you understand them, they feel like you understand how to help them. Yeah. 
So if you don't actually understand them, like from a point of view of who they are as a human, like we're talking to humans here, it's not just a decision maker. It's a complex person. And, you know, I was saying to my husband the other day, like, you know, what's so weird is we have neighbors that we don't know and they don't know us, but those neighbors are the protagonist in their life. And everything that happens to them is incredibly important. And they have love and they have arguments and they have trials and they have successes. And it's like this whole other life that's just as important as our life that we don't know about. And I don't know, something about it was just kind of trippy. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like I was just telling you when I, when I did this road trip, I just did, um, you know, I, and I'm, since I do podcasts like you, we're both very good interviewers and we're curious about, you know, what the guests might have to say and if it's going to be valuable for our listeners. So I went in with that approach. And like we talked about, I think it might've been during the, the prep of the call. Um, I wanted every conversation to be meaningful. Right. And it's, it's kind of hard. I mean, I live in a townhouse community and I got, I don't know, we moved here about a year ago. So I hardly know uh, any of my neighbors. Um, because of COVID people weren't coming out and things right. like that. But if you're in the sales process and if you can have that curiosity yes. about um, what they're going through, you know, this is great, Alicia. This is a really good understanding of, of empathy. And, and you don't have to, you don't have to get too deep and, and ask them things that are, you know, kind of intimate. intimate. Yeah. yeah. That's a better word than the word I was going to use. <laughs> but if you can show that, you know, as they always say, um, I forget the show that you care and Maya Angelou or something like that. You know, the expression. Oh yeah. People don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. Exactly. Or something like that. So that's going to have some impact. Now the challenge with being in sales is if your quota is, you know, due in six months, you know, you need to figure out, okay, how do I accelerate that? And it's, most companies understand that their sales, the new salespeople aren't going to be up to speed that quickly. Um, I was talking to a sales rep the other day who went from a well-known company to a lesser well-known company. Mm -hmm. And uh, he asked for some advice. And I said, they're going to hire you because you have a reputation and you're successful, but it's going to take some time because you're going to have to know their systems and you're probably going to make some mistakes with you know, uh, entering data or something or sending in a report, but you also need to um, remember that you need to ask the right question so you don't make the mistake twice. Cause they're going to be wondering, gee, this guy is great. We, we, I know we hired him for a reason, but he keeps submitting his expense reports wrong. Is did we make a mistake? So you need to ask questions ahead of time. You need to think about what you do. And if you're the right guy, then over time or lady, you know, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll be there in the right way. So, um, so that's, that's the challenge is, you know, you need to be a professional so that you can quickly get up to speed and quickly show some value to your company because your company needs you to provide that value so that they can grow. Well, and I love, like, I always, the genuinely curious thing. So I always say the only three things that anyone needs to be good at sales are, um, curiosity, empathy, and passion. Because if you're excited, the other person's going to get excited. And if you're genuinely curious, you're going to ask the right questions. And if you're empathetic, they're going to feel like you understand how to help them. And that's all anybody wants is to be with somebody who's excited about helping them and is figuring out 
What's the best way to help you? How can I understand your situation intimately so that I can provide that solution for you? Like that's all anyone wants from a salesperson. And the other thing I would add to that is I think you're right on, tar- on target with those three. I would say the fourth one would be, um, you know, just the, the, the preparation, the intelligence to yeah. really add the value. Cause it's, it's great that you're excited, but you know, the best salespeople out there, um, they're smart, you know, and their intelligence yeah. might be emotional intelligence, or it might be book intelligence, but especially if you're in technology or if you're in enterprise sales, like architecture or construction, you know, you need to understand the big picture and you need to understand the customer's big picture and the most valuable sales professionals that I come across, they are great in one of two things. I'm talking to people who had 20, 30 year careers of huge success. One is they are very, very intimate with the marketplace that they serve. So people ask me, it's like, um, you know, what's the best strategy for success? I say, be the Dell computer guy to the Navy right? Huge marketplace. And for you to be the top Dell computer guy into the Navy, you got to really understand the Navy and how they buy and what their mission is and, you know, from where they buy, et cetera, why they're using the technology. Um, And the second thing I tell people is, uh, alternatively, you could be just a super intelligent guru on the product or service. So, you know, you're like the top insurance guy for the automobile industry in Nebraska, you know, or something like that. Specialized. Very specialized, but you're the guy. Or the lady, you're like, you know, hey, I need someone who understands insurance for the heavy construction industry. There's there's two guys. There's Bill Johnson and Sue Murphy, whatever it might be. And uh, those are two ways to go. Really, to have a 20, 30 year career of huge success where you're making millions, right? Either understand the market and become so superbly knowledgeable in the market. So you can go from company to company if need be or stay with one company or become like the expert on the technology or service. Yeah. And I mean, those aren't all the things you need. Like, I think those are the foundation, the yep, characteristics. So pre- preparation for sure. Um, I, you, like you don't want to go into a meeting and be asking things that you could have figured out yourself. That's just annoying for the client. <laughs> so like knowing that you put in the effort to, to look up things before you came to talk to them is a wonderful feeling for a client to have. Um, and there are lots of layers, but like at its base, I've found that those things are harder to teach someone. And if they have them naturally, they're usually better set up for succeeding in sales. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, this has been a little bit longer, but I was just so enjoying myself with you, Fred. So um, I guess that's a good stopping point for us. And we've reached the end of yet another episode of sales is not a dirty word. This was the podcast about the evolution of sales. And we've been talking with Fred Diamond. So thanks again, Fred, for making an appearance as our guest today. And can you tell everyone how they can find out more about you and you know how they could work with you or join your organization? Sure. And first of all, I want to thank you for having me. You're, you're doing a great job. Your, your show is very informative. You ask great questions. So I think you're on the right track here. I just want to acknowledge you for, um, you know, for the good work you're doing and, uh, and you're going to continue doing as you continue to grow your show. Uh, the best way to find me is LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. Uh, I do a post every morning. It usually gets a couple thousand views and uh, love to engage with people there. Fred Diamond on LinkedIn. And uh, we'll go from there. Okay. Amazing. Um, finally, and thank you so much. That's so kind of you, Fred. 
and thank you to everyone out there who is listening. This has been the sales is not a dirty word podcast. We show you how to put the humanity in your sales and make a killing doing it.